<laughs> Good morning, friends. I'm going to go ahead and say today is 11 May 2020. <laughs> 2020. May. <clears throat> yeah, that's correct, because my son's 13th birthday is tomorrow. Samuel Donnelly Oberst. The apple of my eye. Essentially my mini-me. This guy. 13 years ago, he came into being. Unbelievable. What a great, fine young man. I see so much of myself and my wife, my lineage, our lineage, in this guy. He's a freaking nice boy, teenager now. I asked him the other day, hey, how do you feel about being a teenager? Last night I said that. He said, no, it's not, you know, it's pretty exciting, but, you know, I don't feel like you guys are old. I don't know what, uh, I didn't really want to interpret that necessarily or know how to interpret it at 10 o'clock at night, but I think what he was saying is that he sees himself growing up and with us at in our 40s, he doesn't feel like he's a little baby anymore, he's growing up. And he is, his voice has dropped, he's freaking sprouting muscles out every which way, he's got a lot of good friends. He's just a wonderful human being. I love that boy, and I, I got so much that I want to teach him and want to share with him. And we've been doing a lot of that during this pandemic. We've been spending a lot of time together, and <clears throat> one of the cutest thing he'll, things he'll do with me is he'll say, Daddy, do you, uh, do you have to go to work tomorrow? Because my, you know, everything's at a standstill pretty much. We're kind of just starting to relax restrictions right now with the pandemic. We'll see how that goes. But long story short, the office is slow. So the days that I am at the office, I can spend <clears throat> quite a bit of time just sitting there, you know. There's not a whole lot of work to do, but we're getting busier. Uh, if I'm sitting there, I'm waiting on the next patient or cleaning or preparing or doing whatever I can to, you know, prepare for when things pick up. Anyway, he'll say, Dad, are you going to work tomorrow? Because he doesn't want me to go to work. He wants to be with me, and he knows that it's a... There's a villain on the loose out there, and he doesn't want me to have to deal with that, contract that, work in that. He wants us all to be together, safe, and spend time with one another. So we've been doing a lot of cool stuff. We've been working out. We've been throwing the hell out of the football. Um, we've been having a lot of nice meals palling around with Momi, our chocolate lab mutt, 
and just trying to enjoy our time together as best as possible. When I left the the uh, house just now, they were all sitting on the couch, Sam, Lily, and my wife Mandy, doing homework and giggling, and Mommy's up on the couch. We got a little, some cloud cover, but sun trying to peek through. After a weekend of um, some really decent weather. Now, Saturday it was sunny, but it was fucking windy. That wind pisses me off, man. I was out there working in it throughout, though. Got a bunch of carving done. Felt good to be productive. Made these little little birdies out of golf balls. I have like hundreds of golf balls my buddy gave me. So we're taking some Instamorph, putting a beak on them, putting an eyeball on them, big eye, and then a little plume of feathers coming out of the top and wire for legs. Why do I do shit like this? I don't know. <clears throat> I saw this, you know, I, I, I love making stuff out of, out of junk or out of waste, something that we're no longer using, you know what I mean? I love that. I love that you can go into a junk drawer or the basement box or whatever and there's a bunch of wire and wire wire nuts and nuts and bolts and just crap that you don't think you don't know if you'll ever need again so you keep it around and make things on that note we were watching this show this new series um, over the weekend this family up in Maine they make shit at, it's called Turdy Works, it's freaking awesome, so they take moose turds, which look like, I don't know, maybe a piece of dog kibble, and they dry it, and they put little eyeballs on it, and make clocks, and figures, and gifts, and the whole nine yards, little puns and stuff that they incorporate, and they make good money doing that, you know, they can sell these products, People want to buy them for the novelty of it. I think it's pretty interesting. It's something that I would do. Here I am making golf, taking golf balls and or picking up fucking acorns and leaves and shit. Thinking about, well, oh, what can I do with that pine cone? What can I do with that that uh, black walnut pod? That Osage orange seed. Yesterday, we're walking. I picked up these. Uh, uh, what I d- determined was sweet gum pods. These look like little spiky balls. They look just like the coronavirus, by the way. About the size of a walnut. They're perfectly round. They've got these spikes that stick out radially. And of course, they got a stem that drops down. They're very light. So I'm, I, I'm making these uh, little birdies golf ball birdies, I saw this, you know, the hundreds of these sweet gum pods on the ground, I've seen them before, they're familiar, my buddy from R&J, um, the sweet gum pods, so spiky, they remind me of little chicks, like chicken chicks, you know, little yellow puff balls. So we'll spray paint them yellow and put a beak on them. 
stick a little eyeball on them, maybe feather sticking out the top. And we'll make some little chicks. That's pretty neat. I don't know. You know, is it something that, that uh, we sell? Is it something that... <clears throat> we just fucking make? Just to make? You know, any maker or any artist, the best work you can do is work you're going to do anyway. Then if you find that people really like your little... Um, sweet gum pod chicks and you can sell one for 50 cents or a dollar then sell it and you make little characters out of them I don't fucking know but do something that, that other people aren't doing you know, maybe I can make those sweet gum pods and make a little kooky coronavirus out of it just something to, to keep around people aren't ready for that shit yet but uh they will be once we get ahead of this critter. You know, I got some some real strong ambitions. I want to start up uh, up in my game with the podcast here. Get some really good guests on. I had an epiphany over the weekend, so I'll just set the stage for that. Excuse me. Oh, by the way, I shaved my head into a mohawk. I had a cut my son's hair over the um, weekend. Shit was getting long. So I did, gave him a high fade, high regulation haircut, and then I said, fuck it. I was thinking about doing a a mohawk, so I got it done. I went downstairs. My wife usually scoffs at anything I do that's eccentric like that, and she kind of let it go. The thing is, fuck it. It's not like I'm going to fucking job interviews right now, just yet, right? I am my own businessman. I'm teaching from remote. I'm limited dealings out in the marketplace right now. Spend all my, any of my extra time at home. So, fuck it. <clears throat> I want to make, I want to write a book, okay, I've said this before, and the podcast, I've always, uh, as I've mentioned, it's kind of streamed into uh, my stream of consciousness, it's transitioned into that, my daily thoughts, and so maybe I can look back at it and draw from some of the material and write a book or compilation of short stories or whatever. Maybe my kids listen to this stuff for my grandkids someday. A lot of it might shock them. Some of it won't. Um, pretty cool. It was a Humvee painted like the 18 van. Right? Go into that friggin' distortion guitar solo. So the book that I want to write 
I'm a, you know, I'm a Segway guy, right? You know, I'll go off on another tangent, so I got to stay on mission. But the book that I would write is about DDIP, Doctor Drill Instructor Program. So I know that I've covered considerable ground in that regard when I first started doing the podcast, and then you know, I have fits and starts with it. It's. Uh, <coughs> It's one of those things that for more than a decade, it consumed me, my time, my energy. Uh, I spent between my 30s and 40s running an exercise boot camp that was more like a family, like a, it was kind of cultish, man. You know, I tinkered around with... naming the book, I Was a Fitness Cult Leader, or Dr. Drill, The Fitness Cult Leader, because that's kind of what it was. It was a group of people that were excited about something, and they were, we were all trying to get in shape and stay in shape, and people joined in order to lose weight and get ready for, for summertime or lose their freshman 15 or whatever the fuck their goal was. People came, gravitated into the program and they're like, what the hell is going on here? I know that it was like a surreal experience for a lot of people who were joining an exercise program, that this was something that was really um, unique, you know? And I was trying to remember all the things that I did and, you know, when I would go into role and initially when I started the program, how I operated, it was really high discipline, but in a way that made people kind of be okay with it. You know what I mean? Like I was telling people to do push-ups and run over here and do that and circle up and all this stuff. Meanwhile, home, they got job to get to, they got kids to get off to school, they got a million things that they need to organize in their life, but this is something that they turn to. I was someone that they turned to at 5 o'clock in the morning to get in shape, to get motivated, to get going. And it was a wild freaking ride. I got some people that I'd like to interview to remind me about the course. And I got to formulate some ideas. Some of it I just want to go freestyle about ask some questions like I'm doing now and they'll tell me the rest because it's helpful to have a grounded point of view from others Um, so I'll invite them my friends Val and Coop on the podcast before long maybe each individually and then both together we'll talk about it, we'll talk about some of the occasions, some of the highlights and it'll get me my wheels spinning about <clears throat> what's worth writing about, what an optimal uh, book name could be, and different aspects of the book. But I've been watching what's what made me consider that that uh, title of the book. I was a fitness cult leader. It's because I um, 
you know, it's something that people are more and more, some people always call me Drill, as in Dr. Drill. Other people are starting to call me Aaron again, or Dr. O, you know, because it's, I'm not playing the Dr. Drill role anymore, but that's how I entered their lives, that's how I encountered them, was as Drill. Um, so here's what made me start this uh, little epiphany I had recently I was talking with my students I started a new anatomy and physiology program last week and we're talking a little bit of banter back and forth and we're covering chemistry, which can be notoriously abstract and difficult to deal with. So I provided them a video. It was a TED Talk YouTube link. And this guy, Meerman, I think was his, the author, he says, okay, here's he's, he's doing a TED Talk on chemistry, body chemistry, how breathing and exercise and weight loss, how all those things are linked. And you might have heard that when we exercise and we, let's say we want to burn calories, the calories are burned and think about your car releasing exhaust. You've got combustion happening, you're breaking down a fuel, you're using it to produce energy and there's a waste product of the fuel, we call that exhaust. So when we exhale, our exhaust is CO2. A good part of it is CO2 because there's a combustion happening within our bodies and the chemical reaction is this. If you eat this and you exercise, you use oxygen, you got aerobic exercise, you're burning calories. And when we lose weight, we're literally exhaling CO2 and other compounds. That's where the calories go. That's where those, that weight goes. Now, so I had one of my students, seemed like a very nice young man, he said, well, this is actually a really good chemistry video, the only thing is it's very fat shaming, and I went on to say that this is, uh, little kids going across the road. Look at me. Oh, oh my God. So beautiful. So it was very fat shaming. I said, what? Fat shaming? What the hell is this all about? I'm Dr. Drill. I've had freaking people, you know, young, old, fat, skinny, short, tall, of every demographic people come into an exercise program that was called a boot camp. So they knew it was going to be hard. They knew it was going to be a sacrifice. They wanted something to get them to their goals. And they came in, and everybody was honored. There was no fat shaming, you know. That was the reality of it, and what people's minds, of course, run wild. It was everyone's goal to try to lose some weight, get in shape. But sometimes that didn't happen. They wondered, you know, it was all this effort and exercise and futility because I'm not losing weight like I'd like to. But many people lost weight. Tens of pounds. And I've had somebody lose 80 pounds in the program across several years. 
So it was like a lifestyle change program. Anyway, I get on there in response to this young man's query, and I said, hey, you know, I kind of have some credentials in this area, some experiences, and I got to tell you, you know, basically, I had to, I had to, without exchanging barbs with this guy, and show him that I'm on the same side as he is. I, he was talking about um, acceptance at any weight and size. These kind of like, like rights for overweight people, health at any size, something like that. Well, I'm all about that. You know, I'm not trying to. I would never say, ah, you fat fuck or whatever. But the reality is, you can be so overweight that you're sick. And in fact, we've got a lot of that. About 60% of the American population is categorized as obese. Now, we might have some issues with our um, body mass index, lifestyle indexes, etc. But the science is fairly solid that... There's plenty of, you know, quite a few morbidities that are accentuated, accelerated by overweight and obesity. And so I'll meet you where you're at if you're overweight. But if you're somebody who's, who's, um, who's sick as a result or as a major contributor of being overweight, for instance, if somebody comes in and they've got horrible low back pain and they're 300 something pounds I can adjust them all at one I can do everything that I know how to do very well I can be on the top of my chiropractic game if I don't address the weight somehow or help them improve their uh, body composition help them lose weight work on their flexibility work on their strength if I don't try to do all those things, then they're not gonna they're not gonna feel any less pain. They're gonna be in a tough spot. So I try to address those things, and I think that that was why that after having this communication with this young man. Now I don't know if I changed his mind, but I tried to communicate my. Um, my feelings as respectfully as possible while not losing any ground, giving any ground on what I believe is the science of obesity. Um, it made me think. This little exchange made me reflect upon my experiences, which are vast in that area. I'm a freaking expert in the area of lifestyle change and motivation, discipline, all that stuff. It was something, these were ideas that I latched on to very tightly early on in my life. And for some reason I went in the direction that I, that I ultimately did. And I created something from nothing. I mean, DDIP was an absolutely incredible force. It was something that transcended mere workout or uh, lifestyle regimen it was it was part it was part of our lives it was our social circle it was our 
um, everything. We had picnics, we had, uh, we took care of people if somebody was sick or in the hospital or you know, looked out for this one or that one. We were a squad, a platoon, a company. We were hundreds, you know, uh, a sphere of influence that was vast. And I still keep in touch with a lot of these people today. I'd like to know how they feel. Many of them have told me over the years, and I just want to make sure that uh, I take into account their feelings and their experiences because that's um, more important than anything, I believe. I want to hear how this program touched them. The cult leader thing, the fitness cult leader mention, is something that's kind of got a derogatory spin because recently I watched, um, I've been watching some Netflix and so everything from Ozark to Tiger King to most recently uh, fucking uh, Waco about the Branch Davidians. Anyway, I'm always looking at unit, the way that uh, people behave and, and conduct themselves in every way and things become familiar when we're talking about groups of people being led and uh, make me think, make me reflect upon like a, a not so distant past of mine where it was my job. Hey, you know, such and such has uh, got some shin splints. We need to talk to her about that. Hey, we got a new recruit coming on uh, Wednesday, going to be over here. I had these people who were just so dedicated, so on mission. It's like we were a church, like a fitness church. It was a secular church, though. It was an incredible thing. And I, uh, having exchanged some uh, communications with, with this kid, with this, with this student of mine, I shouldn't say kid, and um, reflecting upon some of those past experiences of mine, it made me think, like, this could have been one of the, no doubt it's one of the, it might be the most important public health effort that I've ever undertaken. I've been in practice in 15 years. It might eclipse any, any good that I've done from a doctorly, you know, chiropractic standpoint. This was in the trench, trenches leading people, exercising them, you know, telling them, you know, setting an expectation of goals and, and, and we did crazy stuff, man. Crazy but safe things and got out in nature and worked out and, and worked a lot out. Worked our problems out together, took care of one another. It was a tremendous time. And sometimes, I guess the further away I get from it, I, I don't know. I feel it feels like it's so far away, so far in the past and not something that I should continue to um, you know to try to relive or uh, hash out every five minutes but it's at this point I think it's I think it's key that I write a book on it because it's a discreet uh, experience body of knowledge that I think can help other people and it was an incredible time that I would like to capture and uh, pay forward, try to distill it out and 
come out with some um, some cool lessons and some great stories. So stand by for that. Huh!